Hello and welcome to Lisa Express Podcast. My name is Elizabeth Akunili. In the month of August, we've been discussing how trauma rewrites us. How does trauma rewrite me? How does trauma rewrite you? Because the truth is, trauma does affect us. Trauma does change something inside us. It changes our frame of reference. It changes how we see the world, how we function in the world. So the first week, we did talk about what is trauma and how does it rewrite me. Last week, Monday, we spoke about manifestations of trauma. And so what we've been doing is on Monday during the podcast, we'll talk about the topic a bit so that we don't get overwhelmed. Then we split it and have the other part of the session as well as the Q&A on Instagram Live every Friday at 7 p.m. Okay, so this new week, we are beginning impact of trauma on your parenting style. And it's important you pay attention to this so you don't live in an illusion, if you don't mind me using that word. So you don't live in an illusion that you are parenting your kids to the best of your capacity, whereas you are merely transferring your traumas on them. Many of the things we've called family problems over the years, many of them have turned out to just be trauma. I mean, one generation doesn't deal with their trauma. They pass it on to the next generation and they pass it on to the next generation. Of course, if you've been following this, you would understand that every trauma is not directly experienced. Some form of traumas are indirect traumas, meaning someone else experienced them, but you listened to the person, heard about the person, engaged with the person, and somehow their trauma has been transferred to you. I can't do justice to that now. So I recommend you go listen to what is trauma and how does it write to us. I did a good job explaining how we receive trauma directly and indirectly. And so today I want to focus on four things, four key ways our traumas as parents get passed on to the next generation so that as we parent our kids, we can see and track what part of this is love. What part of this is really useful for my kids? But what part of these were things I used to defend myself? Because when you go through a traumatic experience, your body, your brain is wired to keep you alive. And a traumatic experience is hurtful. It's very painful. It's distressing. It's uncomfortable. You don't want to be in that position ever again. So what you do is you have what is called defense mechanisms. I'm sure this is a topic we covered like a year ago on this same podcast. So you might need to scroll down and find deflection as a coping technique. What many of us have done is we found defense techniques to defend ourselves from this thing repeating itself. So if you date someone and they broke your heart, you will possibly say, you know what, I'm never going to date from this tribe, or I'm never going to even date again completely, or I'm never going to do this, I'm never going to do that. That decision is not because you like the decision. It's because you're trying to prevent yourself from getting hurt again, from being in that same position of pain again. That's what you're trying to avoid. So when you say, I'm never going to date again, it's not as if you don't want sex anymore. It's not like you don't want to be cuddled. It's not as if you don't want friendship. It's not like you don't want companionship. It's not like you don't want a partner. It's not like you don't want someone to talk to. It's just that in your consciousness and your unconsciousness, when you juxtapose the benefits of dating and the disadvantages, the disadvantages to you outweigh the advantages. And that is happening as a result of the traumatic experience. So as a parent, as humans, we've all experienced one or two traumatic experiences, especially if you live in this crazy world we find ourselves in. There is war, there are rumors of war, there are all forms of things, crime rates increasing, rape 
our forms of things you can imagine. And so even if we are not direct recipients of these events and these traumatic points, we know people, we are connected to people. We've heard stories, we've listened to stories, we've seen hashtags online. Like when the hashtag Me Too was trending, there were all sorts of stories. When there was the hashtag Toxic Bosses, people were saying all forms of things about toxic bosses. And that was enough to scare anyone. Like you've not even been in the position, but you can already imagine what it's like to work with a toxic person and so you are afraid and you are uncomfortable that is understandable but we will be doing a disservice to culture we will be doing a disservice to society as a whole if we keep passing on our traumas because the reason we have this i'm unsure if quantity is the word to use of trauma right now is that we had parents who didn't deal with their traumas. Is that we had grandparents who didn't even know these things were traumas. Is that we had people who downplayed the impact of the trauma. Like someone would get raped and you tell them, oh, but you didn't get pregnant, you should be grateful. Yeah, pregnancy would have disrupted their lives some more, but rape also did disrupt their lives. So can we at least acknowledge their pain and not be dismissive? And so if you're listening to me and someone has ever dismissed your trauma point, dismissed your pain, whether it was a rape or an assault, a disregard, verbal abuse, body shaming, I just came here today to say I'm sorry on behalf of that person. I'm sorry they were insensitive. I'm sorry they were ignorant and they were uneducated, but we can't afford to have your trauma in the next generation. Yes, we are sorry it happened. Yes, we are sorry they downplayed it. But we also cannot afford it in the next generation. Because if we have it in the next generation, it's going to magnify. It's going to duplicate itself in a thousand different ways. When one woman gets raped, a woman doesn't get raped. That's not what happened. A mom got raped. A mom who is going to make her kids scared of the opposite sex. A mom who is not going to know how to handle a good marriage, who is not going to know how to handle a good man. A mom who is going to bleed on her husband and he's going to get hurt and he's going to bleed on his kids and bleed on his friends. The same thing happens when a young boy gets sexually assaulted. Okay, today is not about sexual trauma. Sexual trauma is next week, so I'm going to hold myself together and just dive into how trauma impacts your parenting style. First of all, as a parent, if you're a parent right now or you're planning to become a parent, one of the things I will say to you and say to you unapologetically as your therapist is that if you have children who are 18 to 20 years old who cannot make sound decisions without you, we have a problem. You and I, all of us, the society, we have a problem because legally an 18 year old is an adult. It means if an 18-year-old was to sexually assault someone, they would face the wrath of the law. It means if an 18-year-old decides to buy property, nobody is going to question them. We might question the source of their income to be sure it's illegal, but no one is going to say to them that go get your guardian. If an 18-year-old decides to go get a visa to travel, Nobody's going to say, oh, you can't travel because you're a minor. They are no longer minors at 18. So let's stretch the legal age to 20. You are expected to be able to make sound decisions on your own without having to call your guardian, without having to ask for support, without having to call someone to say, oh, please come and help me. Yes, you can talk to your lawyer, but you should be able to take sound decisions by yourself. So as a parent, if you babied your kids so much that they cannot take decisions without you at 18 to 20, we have a problem, a legal problem, because you're going to have to call your lawyer more often than you need to. 
You're going to have to cater to more things than you should do. You will be more stressed because by 1820, when they should be planning to leave your house and take sound decisions on their own and try out a business idea, they're still going to be sticky on you. And that's some form of independence you need to give them from when they are growing up. But you won't be able to if you hold on to your own traumas. And so number one way we transfer our trauma on our kids, or number one way trauma impacts our parenting style rather, is financial overcompensation. We overcompensate financially. This especially is something that is predominant with parents who lacked financially when they were growing up. Perhaps your parents were in debt. Perhaps your parents were financially unstable and you had to step up to the role to provide for your family. Perhaps your parents lacked and you people were at the mercy of other people. You had to ask an uncle, ask an auntie, and you might not have liked asking them or they might have even insulted you while you were asking. They might have treated you like trash while you were asking. You might have had to do odd menial jobs and you got disrespected. People spoke to you carelessly. If you've ever been in that position where you were financially lacking as a kid, the possibility that you will financially overcompensate as an adult is really high. As a matter of fact, if you were financially lacking, your relationship with money is a traumatic relationship to start with. We spoke about this in the podcast episode, money as an emotional need. So you might want to scroll down and find that episode, money as an emotional need. Your relationship with money is unstable. You are in this relationship with money where every time you feel like your account balance is depleting, you are in a state of panic, you are anxious, you are uncomfortable because of what money means to you. So you might need to listen to that podcast episode and ask yourself, what does money mean to me? Right. So back to today's episode, if you've been in a position of lack because of your unequal relationship with money, where you have a fear response to money, you also have that response towards your kid. This is where you have funny conversations like, don't take more than two minutes. Now I'm using the most playful thing I can think of, but that comes from a, an issue that comes from a financial issue is that you've been in a place where you lack. And so if your kid is going to take more than two minutes, you're already thinking, how am I going to replace this? I'm not trying to trivialize what money means to you. No, I'm just trying to point that this might be a symptom of something else. You might not have an issue with your kids eating meat. The real issue might be your relationship with money. When it comes to financial overcompensation, you desire to meet the needs of your kids in ways nobody met your needs. So what this would look like, going back to the kitchen example I used, is that you will oversupply food stuff in your house. Because you grew up in an environment where there was not enough food. And so in oversupplying foodstuff, your kids don't get to understand the value of these. Every time they become wasteful, instead of attending to their wasteful behavior, behaviors, because again, kids are tabula rasa. I did teach us that in the last episode. So they really don't know a lot of things. You have to teach them. And so when kids become wasteful, I'm not saying make your kids eat when they are fed. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying make your kids overeat. No, but I'm saying when kids become wasteful, perhaps they're wasteful with their skincare products 
products. They're always full with money. They're always full with food. They don't have regard for your property. They could drive your car, bash it. They don't have value for things. They don't know what it costs to work. You've never let them work. You've never let them intern. You've never let them do anything because they are your kids and they have to be at rest. You have to go and do the struggle. Please, by all means, give them everything they need so that their financial struggles is not on the same level as your financial struggle. Let them struggle at the level of abundance. But if they are becoming wasteful and you cannot confront their wastefulness, instead you are constantly making excuses for their wastefulness, it begs the question, why? Why wouldn't you confront their wastefulness? Why wouldn't you confront their wasteful habits rather? Why wouldn't you let them understand the value of earning? Why wouldn't you let them understand what it means to make something out of nothing? Why wouldn't you let them understand that it costs something to get this thing you are wasting? Again, you don't let them process money. You don't let them have a relationship with finances to understand choice. As an adult, you have to ask yourself, especially if you are within a limited budget or you have limited resources, you would always ask yourself, what is a need and what is a want? What do I choose over what? When your kids don't get the opportunity to make financial choices, and again, this is not an issue of abundance. You can have abundance and still be someone who is disciplined. You can be financially disciplined, not miserly. I'm not talking about being stingy towards yourself. No, I'm talking about financial discipline. If your children don't understand the power of making financial choices, you are actually sabotaging them. You're not helping them. You're sabotaging them because if they have to leave your house, for example, say at age 24, and they have to start up a business, Will they understand what it means to make money choices? If they were to get a job in a different city, will they be able to survive without you sending them extra funds? If they were ever to get into a financial crisis, do they know how to start anything? Have they ever started anything? Have they ever worked on anything? If they were to join a team, will they be an addition or will they be a subtraction to the team? These things are important because as a parent, you have the capacity to help them shape their relationship with finance. Okay. So if you're a parent who has experienced lack, I urge you to please check your relationship with money. Have you healed? Do you have good relationship with money now? If you haven't, if you are still paranoid, if you're still anxious when it comes to money, then check what you're doing with your kids financially because you might already be bleeding on your finances and you don't even know. And mind you, whatever decisions you take with your life financially has the capacity to stick with them for about another 10-15 years. The last thing you want is for your child to be dealing with trauma thing in trauma points that were not even originally theirs. Okay. Secondly, excessive discipline. Another way trauma impacts our parenting style is excessive discipline. Discipline that cuts down their self-esteem and sense of worth. You can discipline someone without disrespecting them. Absolutely, you can do that. You can tell your child that they are overweight and they need to lose weight without body shaming them. Because if you as a parent need to body shame your child to let them know that they need to lose weight, there is no difference between you and the 20, 30 billboards they are going to read on their way to school. There will be no difference between you and all the social media ads that they get harassed with. There will be no difference between you and Snapchat and whatever filters that they use on their faces to feel better about themselves. People are experiencing body dysmorphia and the last thing you want is to be the one who triggers that in your child. So as much as you need to be disciplined, 
You might need to pay attention to the kind of discipline you are meting out on your kids. Are you transferring your childhood traumas? Did you have parents who were disrespectful to you? And so now you are excessively disrespectful to your kids. You call them names, you abuse them, you disregard them, you compare them to other people, you starve them, you hit them repeatedly. You hit them, I deliberately put the word repeatedly because yes, hitting them is bad enough, but hitting them repeatedly is making them now begin to identify themselves with a certain measure of physical hurt. When you hit a child consistently over a period of time, they begin to align themselves with the character that is worth that kind of physical hurt. They begin to look at themselves, especially when you start saying things to your kids like they're going to end up in a prison or they're going to become thieves. You keep putting that kind of ideology into them and you keep beating them all the time. Now they begin to see themselves and they look at themselves in the mirror and they can see the identity of a thief. They can see the identity of a prostitute. They can see the identity of a person who is unworthy. They can see the identity of the person who is unloved. You put that identity in them. They didn't get it on social media. You put it in them in the name of discipline. And so that's something you want to watch out for. If you've experienced that kind of life, then that's something you don't want your kids to experience. But in an attempt to be disciplined, because you haven't healed from your trauma, you will transfer the exact kind of discipline you know. You will transfer it to your kids and you will claim it's discipline. But it's not just discipline, it's excessive. It's hurtful, it's traumatic. It will hurt them 10, 15 years down the line. In fact, if care is not taken, it will hurt their own parenting style. Okay, and um, when it comes to excessive discipline, let me quickly say this. We are trying to fight people we couldn't fight when we were younger, except we're not fighting those people directly. We're fighting them through our kids. So if you're someone who comes from an environment where you were constantly being abused or you were constantly being mocked, you couldn't hit all of those people. They were bullies. They were older than you. They were mature. If you were in Africa, you can't even talk to them if they're older than you, right? Because of the whole age um, response system that we have. So what happens is now that you are the adult, now that you are the person in the position of power, you unconsciously want to prove your power that I have arrived. I can no longer be bullied. I am now in charge. But unfortunately, the person you're proving it to is not even the person who hurt you. So if you need to go and have confrontations with the people who hurt you, by all means, please stand up and go do that and leave these innocent kids alone. The third way trauma impacts our parenting style is overprotection. Notice my choice of words, over, excessive, over. So financial compensation is great. Financial overcompensation is not. If the kids walk around the house and you want to say, oh, thank you, take this money, it begins to help your kids know that, oh, if I walk, I get paid. Okay, what if I do some more work? What if I go to the neighbor's house and work? I've heard those kind of stories. I was privileged to have that kind of father who did that. I mean, if I do some manual jobs that we would normally outsource, my dad would be like, okay, since you did it, I will pay you the money I would have paid the person I was supposed to outsource it to. I mean, those kind of things were good for my work ethics. Some people made more money than me. It helped their work ethic. So if you want to do that, by all means, if you want to say, oh, you have good grades in school, I'm going to get you a Lamborghini. By all means, go ahead and do that. But to overcompensate is a problem. The same thing to discipline is important. If you don't discipline your kids and you leave them at the mercy of social media and all the other options out there, you could have someone again who cannot make concrete decisions at age 18 to 20. But excessive discipline is a problem. Same thing with protection. Number three, protection is great. If you're a parent and you can't protect your kids you are failing in some way if you are a parent and your child is getting raped under your roof and you know and you don't do anything about it it begs the question why are you even in charge 
Why are you even their guardian? Why are you the parent? Why are you the older person? That child should be with social service if you can't protect them. All right. But overprotection, overprotection like financial compensation comes from trying to give what you lack. When it comes to excessive discipline, you're trying to fight what you couldn't fight when you were younger. When it comes to overprotection and overcompensation, you are trying to pay for something you lacked when you were younger. Okay, so if you were someone who was ever abused, whether it was domestic abuse, people in your house used to beat you, hit you, abuse you, sexually assault you, whether it was sexual abuse that happened in public, there's a possibility that you will socially overprotect your kids. Overprotection here, I want to zone down on social overprotection. When it comes to socializing, socializing is being in the same space with other people, knowing how to cohabit with other people, etc. However, when it comes to social overprotection, you try to restrict your kids from socializing and we find parents do this sometimes by sending their kids to single sex schools but we've also seen over the years that kids who go to single sex schools sometimes when they graduate they might come out with good grades but they usually don't have good social skills with the opposite sex because they've been alienated from them for like three to six years that's a long time except maybe when they come home during the breaks they have opportunity to mingle but if they don't have opportunity to mingle and you just go to a single sex school say for six years straight it's impossible that you will know how to speak to the opposite sex like someone who went to a mixed school for six years okay so that was just an example now if you're someone who has been abused there's a possibility that you overprotect and alienate your kids from interacting with other people because you're trying to protect them from the kind of abuse you were exposed to but the disadvantage of the over in the protection is that you would also alienate them from healthy community your kids will not know how to interact with community. They won't know how to build community. They won't know how to choose between how to choose and pay attention to symptoms and signs that says, oh, okay, this person is good for me. This person is not so good for me. This person is toxic. This person is not toxic or this person has been useful. One of the ways you can do this is by teaching. Education is a better tool for protection than alienation because when you educate, your kids are now able to name it. One of the things we teach at Lisa Express Consult is naming things. When we used to have sexuality code for teenagers, when we taught them about sex, one of the things we taught them was the culture of naming something. Name the penis, name the vagina, name an abuse, name a rape, name an assault, name it when you see it, name a toxic trait, name narcissism, name it when you see it. Because when they are able to name it, they are able to avoid it, they are able to say, oh, this is why I'm walking away. They don't have to defend it because they can name it for what it is. So instead of alienating your kids, teach them, educate them. If you can't educate them, send them to us where we'll have special programs for teenagers. But for now, we're zoning in on people who are victims of trauma, people who are dealing with addiction, who want to enjoy pleasurable sex. And so right now, our content is presently unavailable for teenagers. As a matter of fact, we have them blocked out on most of our social media platforms. Okay, so if you're a parent and you're trying to protect your kids and you're beginning to overprotect them, you don't let them experience healthy community and healthy community is supposed to teach them boundaries. If you are in a healthy community, you would understand boundaries. When you meet a person who does not know boundaries, then they've not been in a healthy community because a healthy community loves you, but they will tell you when you've stepped out of your boundary. A healthy community teaches you grace, social grace, how to eat with people, how to talk to people, how to be emotionally intelligent, how to be socially intelligent, how to be culturally educated. A healthy community teaches you grace. It teaches you communal strength. It teaches you how to depend on other people. There's a podcast episode that was titled Independence and Interdependence. A lot of people know how to be independent, but a lot of people don't know how to be interdependent. And interdependence is how you build emotional resilience. 
Because if you are not interdependent on other people, you depend on yourself for everything. You are hyper-independent. Hyper-independence is a sign of trauma. We spoke about that last week. Hyper-independence does not let you rest. It doesn't let you enjoy other people. You want to do everything by yourself and the result of that is burnout. The result of that is anxiety and loneliness. A healthy community is supposed to take care of that. A healthy community finally is supposed to teach you team playing. So if you don't know how to work with a team, you don't know how to lead a team, you've never been in a team, how are you supposed to progress? How are you supposed to be a member of a family? How are you supposed to be a mom or a dad? How are you supposed to be an uncle or auntie? How are you supposed to be a team lead? How are you supposed to run a business? How are you supposed to be anywhere? So can you see that by overprotecting your kids, you are actually ruining your future. You are not protecting them. You're ruining them. You're setting them up to have more hurtful experiences in life than they should have. And I'm sorry that was hard, but I had to call it up to what it was. And finally, in today's episode, I promised I wasn't going to overwhelm you. You'll get the rest on Instagram, doing Instagram live. So if I were you, I would set my alarm for 7 p.m. Friday on Instagram. And if you do miss it, please come back for the replay. But it's better to be live so you can ask your questions. Finally, dismissive attitude. One of the ways trauma impacts our parenting is that we have a dismissive attitude. And this is something I have seen in Africa, in particular in Nigeria, a lot. When I speak to people from other African countries, I have heard them complain about the same thing. Coming from their parents or their uncles, their aunties. It's the attitude of, so what? What's the big deal? I've been there before. When I was your age, is this suffering? Is this beating? Like, there's a way they question you that makes you feel like you're stupid for experiencing the pain you're experiencing. Is when someone comes and says to you, oh, I almost got raped. And you're like, ah, you're even lucky. If you see how they raped you, why must you invalidate their suffering with someone else's suffering? I understand how the shock effect of that can break someone's frame, but it's usually a dismissive thing to do. What you're saying is your pain is not enough. And we tend to do this a lot with suicide victims, with people who are suicidal. We tend to talk to them like the reason they're trying to commit suicide is not deep enough. It might not be deep enough for you, but it's deep enough for them. I don't master in suicide therapy. I don't do that as my primary thing. But it's the basics every therapist knows. The depth of your pain is not the depth of your pain. Your pain threshold is not your pain threshold. And so you cannot afford to invalidate someone else's pain because you feel your generation went through more. And in fact, that's even a generational conversation at the office. Baby bloomers tend to disrespect how millennials walk. Millennials tend to disrespect how Gen Zs walk. Everyone feels like that generation was the hardworking generation and this generation is the lazy one, blah, blah, blah. That's all just dismissive attitude. That's all just responding to the traumas we experienced because they had to work extra hard and then millennials came and got it easier in quotes. Millennials feel like they had to work extra hard, but Gen Zs come and have everything from tech to education to information, blah, blah, blah. And then Gen Zs are making money, getting on crypto, web three, blah, blah. And so everybody is pissed that the other person has it more easily and so let's be honest we are not being helpful we are just jealous a part of us is hurt that we didn't have this much luxury that we didn't have this much ease and so we're taking it out on someone else we are upset that we had to be traumatized that we had to go through so much pain to achieve the result this person is getting in one week I mean, it can be painful to watch someone get the results you got in one year, get it in one month. But the fact is they had more tools. Get over it. 
They have more tools. Your kids have more tools. Your kids have a different life. Your kids have a different exposure. Your kids have different education. You didn't have to have sexual conversations in class at age four. These kids are exposed to excessive content. And you will see this when we talk about sexual trauma. Your kids are exposed to way more than you were exposed to. And so to come out and trivialize their pain or disrespect them on the basis of your own wounds is just blatantly disrespectful. But worse, it is traumatizing for their future. So if you're a parent listening to me and you've ever been in an environment that was dismissive, I think you need to go for therapy. And it's not just because you're going to pay me. You don't have to come to me. I'll be glad if you come to me. And if what you're coming to me for is not even my expertise, I would refer you to someone else. But what I'm saying is, if you've been a victim of trauma as a parent, by all means, go for therapy and stop bleeding on your kids. Because the kids you are bleeding on will bleed on 15, 20, 30 people before they come to the wise age of going for therapy and healing themselves. You don't want to do that because those 30 people will go ahead and bleed on about 30 other people. And that's just the barest minimum I can imagine. You don't want that kind of ripple effect because you didn't heal. So if you've ever been traumatized, if you're not sure what trauma is again, go listen to the week one of August. What is trauma and how does it rewrite us? Listen on the podcast, go to the Instagram, listen to the remaining part, put it together and ask yourself, what am I dealing with? Do I have a traumatic relationship with money? Do I have a traumatic relationship with sex? Do I have a traumatic relationship with community? Do I have a traumatic relationship with my religious body? What kind of trauma have I experienced? One of the things we will try to create for you in the coming weeks is what we call the trauma finder. Because it's important that you might need to check and ask yourself, how am I experiencing trauma? But we will be releasing a tool this week for parents that is called Avoiding Traumatic Parenting. Avoiding Traumatic Parenting is a workbook. It doesn't have content for you to teach. It's a workbook that would have links to teachings we've done regarding trauma and parenting styles, right? Um, before we started this new season, we had taught on traumatic parenting for four weeks and now we're teaching traumatic parenting today and traumatic parenting on Friday. So that's six whole episodes on how to avoid traumatic parenting. If you go through those six episodes and you use this workbook with your partner, if you're a parent who has a partner or you're a single parent and you use this workbook and have conversations with your kids I promise you, your parenting game will go from zero to hundred. If you use, and these tools are all free. These tools are all free. We are not charging you anything. So you don't think, oh, these people are just talking so I can come and give them my money. That's not what this is about. This is about making sure we reduce the amount of trauma we have on the street. Because there's just so much trauma going on. Our single clients are unable to date. And when you look at them, many of the traumas they are going through comes from their parents. It's not even them, not even their own relationships, not even their own sex life. It comes from their parents who they manage their own traumas and then they bled on them. And so you have people who are 25 to 29, 32, 35, who are refusing to date because they're afraid of marriages just by watching their parents' marriage. Or they're afraid of parenting because they watch their parents' parents them. Because they're afraid of of all forms of things that they got from their parents, all forms of ideologies that their parents transferred to them. And then we have people who have kids, but they're unsure what to do. So avoiding traumatic parenting is for you if you're planning to get married, if you're planning to have a kid, if you already have a kid, avoiding traumatic parenting workbook is definitely what you should be downloading this week. So don't forget to tune in on Friday, 7 p.m. Instagram live at Lisa Express C. Just search for Lisa Express Consult on Instagram or better still, go to our website, www.lisaexpress.com. You will get a direct link that will take you to Instagram. Until Friday, see you. Bye.